scroll through social media. We really don't know what to expect, even tomorrow, right? What is going to happen with our jobs? What is going to happen with our schools? What is going to happen with our government? What is going to happen with our families? And I know some in our church have lost loved ones already to this pandemic, and others of us are worried that that might be around the corner. So here I am, and I want to talk about generosity. Maybe it feels like a funny time to talk about generosity. We might be feeling not particularly generous, depending on where this is all hitting you, right? But I think generosity is something we need to talk about. If you're like me, when all of this stuff is up in the air, so much uncertainty, so much to worry about, the instinct is to like withdraw, turn inward, let your home be your castle, right? Just hunker down, focus on your own family. You got enough to worry about. And we're just not in the mindset to look beyond our own family, look beyond our own problems, and be generous. To be generous, if you know what that word means, it means to give someone a gift that's more than they expected, right? To be generous is to give someone a gift that's more than they deserved. And another word we use for generous is open-handed, right? You picture just like hands outstretched offering a gift. That's generous. But we often want to be the opposite, right? Tight-fisted, close our fists, hold on to whatever sense of control we can hang on to. And I think we need to talk about the generous love of our God. There's no other way we're going to be able to let our guard down relax, and be able to overflow in love to other people unless we receive that generous love from God. And so that's what I want us to look at. We need to experience the generous love of our God. I'm going to read through Luke chapter 15. I'm reading the NIV translation if you want to read the same thing I'm reading. But Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read all the way through, starting in verse 1. The Word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go looking after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God 
over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between his sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, What's going on? Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for what Jesus taught in these three stories. Thank you for what we see there about your generous love. God, we need more than just ideas this morning. Please come by your Holy Spirit and help us to see and feel and experience your love so that we can feel some part of what Jesus said you are like. He reveals you to us, Father, 
And would your Holy Spirit apply that? Make it real for us. We want to feel your love. We want to experience your love this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been criticized for being too generous? Jesus was. That's what's happening here in verse 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15. See, one thing we see all throughout the Gospels about Jesus is he is often spending time with people that you might not expect, right? The type of people most don't want to be seen around, the drunks, the cowards, traitors, those sinners, the weaklings, the people with a lot of dirt and mistakes in their past, the sick, the weak, the troublemakers. Jesus is generous with how he spends his time. He's generous to give his attention to people that most would just ignore and pass by. And that's the very thing in verse 2 he's being criticized for. You see, the religious people, the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, are looking at Jesus and saying, this guy thinks he's a spiritual guy. He thinks he's a religious teacher like us. And yet here he is just giving his time away to people who don't deserve it. He's just wasting his reputation associating with these type of people, the wrong kind of people. That's what they think. You see, the Pharisees are the opposite of generous. They can't afford to be generous because what the Pharisees are living for is the approval of others. They're all about appearances. I'm spiritual. I'm respected. I'm wise. I'm powerful. I'm influential. That's what they're living for. And when you live for appearances, that's a fragile thing, right? You can lose people's respect in one moment. And so if you're living for what people think of you, you can't be generous. You see, the Pharisees essentially are trying to claw their way up in the world. But Jesus is humbling himself to spend time with people that might not deserve it. And so Jesus hears this grumbling, and he responds by telling three stories. <clears throat> He's telling three parables, and this is his response to this criticism. As we go through these three stories Jesus tells, I want us to see three things about the generous love of God. And the first thing is this, God's generous love comes looking for us. God's generous love comes looking for us. Look at the first two stories Jesus tells in verses 4 through 10. First, there's a shepherd with a hundred sheep and he loses one and he goes looking for it. And then there's a woman with ten coins. Now these coins, better to think about them as like a stack of hundred dollar bills. That, like, these weren't nickels and dimes. These are, like, seriously valuable silver coins. And she loses one, and she goes looking for it. Well, Jesus is illustrating a very simple idea here, right? He's essentially looking at the Pharisees, and he's like, if you had $1,000 and you dropped a $100 bill, would you turn around and pick it up again? Or would you just say, oh, too bad. I have $900 now. 
Like, it's, it's an obvious point, right? Like, when you lose something, you go back and get it. But don't miss the controversial thing about what Jesus is saying here. <clears throat> See, what's the criticism that he's answering? They're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, why are you going into these sinners' houses? Why are you spending time with these people? And Jesus basically responds, if you lost something that belonged to you, wouldn't you go get it? What's the point? Jesus is looking at this crowd of sinners, and he's saying, these sinners are mine. They, these people belong to me, and they're worth coming and looking for. I want you to hear that. <clears throat> Whoever you are listening, here in the building or online, if you're listening to me, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He created us, and the whole world and everything in it rightfully is his. And James W. talked about last week how God made us in his own image. And every single person is incredibly valuable when God looks at you. He sees value, worth. You are worth coming to look for because you're made in his image. And that's the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees, they look and they say, you're worth whatever you can do for me. I value what you can do for my reputation. But Jesus says, I value you because you are you. The Pharisees look at sinners and they say, you don't even deserve for me to come into your house. I wouldn't even sit down for a meal with you. Jesus comes down from heaven, God himself, to spend time with us. And when the Pharisees look and say, you're beneath me. I'm better than you. Jesus came to live and die, to humble himself all the way to the cross in order to lift us up with him. What a difference. And that's what Jesus does. He lifts us up. And so point one, God's generous love comes looking for us. But when he finds us, he doesn't leave us where he found us, does he? No, this is the second point. God's generous love gives us a new identity. God's generous love gives us a new identity. Let's continue in Luke chapter 15 to the third parable Jesus tells, which starts in verse 11. He tells of a man who has two sons, and the younger son is the rebellious son, right? He goes to his dad and says, Dad, I know that when you die, you're going to will half of your stuff to me and half, my half your stuff to my brother. But I don't want to wait. Give me my stuff now. It's an incredibly insulting thing for a son to say. Just give me what's coming to me. I want it now, and then I'm out of here. That's who that son is. And I think we should all see something of ourselves in that rebellious younger son. Because although we are made by God, and although we rightfully belong to him, and although he values us, so often we don't value him. We don't value him. And here's how I would describe the younger son. Dad, I want your stuff without you. 
Give me your stuff so I can go off and party with my friends away from you. Away from you. So this son is the rebel. He's the wild child. He's very different from those religious Pharisees from the beginning of the story, right? But I'm going to argue that he actually has a lot more in common with those Pharisees. You see, just like them, he is all about appearances. He's aiming for a different set of appearances, right? He wants approval from a different crowd, but that's what he's living for. I'm the life of the party. I can spend money. I can really light it up. I can have fun. I'm popular. That's the appearances this younger son is going for. And it's all hollow, isn't it? This entire time, he's partying in the city, spending dad's money. He's spending his dad's money. And once that money runs out, he's putting it on the credit card, right? Keep the fun going a little longer. But there's nothing behind it. And so in the end, he ends up broke, empty, and alone. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to hear me say this. The world out there, wherever you go, the world is full of good things, isn't it? There's so much good in this world. It's God's good things. He made those good things. And so the question for us is, do we want to be like this younger son and try to enjoy those good things the wrong way? Or do we have a relationship with our dad and enjoy those good things the right way? That's really the question. It's not, do you have fun or not? Do you get good things or not? It's all about where, how, and do you have a relationship with your father? So he ends up on that pig farm, right? Starving, hungry, bankrupt, feeding pigs. And up to this point in the story, those Pharisees, because remember, Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees and to the rest of the crowd. The Pharisees are loving this story. This is like their perfect bedtime story, right? Like, put this story in a summary. This younger son's a rebel. He's a troublemaker. He goes off to the city. He falls in with the wrong crowd, and he falls flat on his face. He loses everything. The end. The moral of the story, make better choices, right? Live like a Pharisee. That's the lesson. That's their kind of parable. That's their kind of story. But Jesus isn't done telling the story. You see, his son comes to his senses. Verse 17, I love that phrase, right? Because he's been acting crazy. And so verse 17, the son comes to his senses, and he realizes he just needs to come home. He just needs to come home. And this is where we get the surprise twist of the story Jesus is telling, because it doesn't end with the son broke, empty, alone. No, when he sets off to go back home, let's look at verse 20. He was still a long way off, and his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's the surprise twist that Jesus wants to hit us and surprise us. This loving father is filled with compassion. No matter how much his son had insulted him, wasted half of his money, half of his savings are gone. 
no matter what mistakes his son made, he embraces his son with open arms. And I want us to see this. He doesn't just allow his son to come slouching home in shame, right? Covering his head. Sure, I'll let you come home. No, he receives him home with a royal welcome. The best he can do. And that's, again, that second point. God's generous love gives us a new identity. A new identity. See, the son came home in a dirty, smelly, old shirt. Probably his last shirt he had was the one on his back, right? Because he's in debt and he's broke. If he had looked himself in the mirror, he would have seen dirt, grime, the tears on his shirt. Like, this is who I am now. Dirty, beat up, wounded, worthless. Smell like a pig farm. That's me. But in 60 seconds, that all changes, doesn't it? It all changes. And I should pause here. There were good reasons for the father not to welcome his son home, weren't there? Like, what about the father's reputation? If word is around town of how his son insulted him, put him to shame, wasted his money, what's that going to do to dad's reputation if he welcomes him home? And what about what's left of his father's savings account? Right? Like, who knows what kind of trouble the son is in? He was in the big city. He could have debt collectors on his tail. Right? If the, if the father welcomes him home, suddenly he's co-signing all those debts. Suddenly, whatever went on the credit card, they're going to come knocking on dad's door. That's another, and he's already, again, he's already lost half of everything he has for his son's wasteful spending. What about enemies? There could be some family feuds, right? Like when you live and party it up like, like this son was doing, you can make enemies. You might offend the wrong person. And so if the father welcomes him home, is there going to be somebody looking for revenge, knocking on the door, hey, your son insulted me. What are you going to do about it? Does the father ask any questions? He doesn't ask a single, what kind of trouble are you in, son? Doesn't matter. He just throws his arms around his son, welcoming him back home. And in 60 seconds, that smelly, dirty shirt is off. He's wearing his dad's best robe. He's got a ring on his finger. He's got new shoes on his feet. What's the point? If this son goes into town tomorrow, everybody who sees him knows he's a welcomed home son. They can see the difference. He's been transformed. There's no question. He's been fully welcomed back as a son. Now, back in 2014, <clears throat> the day before Easter, I made one of the worst decisions of my life, okay? I broke up with my girlfriend, April. I knew about an hour later that it was the dumbest thing I'd ever done in my life. I broke her heart. About a week later, I was on the phone with her, asking her to take me back. All right, what's the point? Fast forward to today. <clears throat> There's nothing on me to remind me of the mistakes I've made. I don't wear anything on my hand to, to remind me when I look at it. You broke up with April. You broke her heart. What do I have on my hand? I have a ring. And it's my new identity as April's husband. She gave me this ring. That's identity. All right, and the father 
gives his son a family ring. He's been welcomed home. See, the world isn't big on second chances. We tend to look at people and just we see them for what they are. They're never going to change. You are the mistakes you've made. You are the wrongs that have been done against you. That defines you. The hurts you've carried. That's all the world sees. But that's not what God sees. Jesus wants to give you that best robe, that ring, the sandals on your sore, tired feet. Amen. And what a contrast. Put yourself in those shoes of that younger son. Because he had friends in the big city, right? When he was partying it up. Where did they all go? The money ran out. They ran out. It's a, such a contrast with his dad. See, his friends, his so-called friends, they looked at him and they saw popularity, success, money. He's buying the drinks. The father looks at him <clears throat> and sees his own precious child. His friends disappeared when the money ran out. The father embraces his son even when he's broke and in debt. And his friends had told him real freedom was making up the rules for himself. That's how you become free. Use and abuse your father's gifts. Make the rules up as you go. But his father now shows him true freedom is being welcomed home. Welcomed home. And Jesus still is not done telling this story. He introduces us to the older son. The older son in verse 25. And this son is the good kid, right? He didn't leave home. He's obedient. He's not a rebel. That's what we see on the outside. He seems to go along with whatever his dad wants him to do. But in his heart, this older brother is really the same as the younger brother. I want us to see that. See, remember, what did the younger son want out of life? Hey, Dad, give me your stuff so I can go party with my friends. And look at verse 29 here in our text. This is the son speaking. All these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends with my friends. He's the same. Dad, why don't you just give me some of your stuff so I can go party with my friends? It's the same as the younger son. See, he's a people pleaser. He's a rule follower. He's that good kid. But he doesn't actually want a relationship with dad, does he? And, and if you're a parent, what do you really want? Do you want a son who, on the outside, obeys you, does what you ask, but in his heart, he doesn't love you. He doesn't want to spend time with you. No. And see, Jesus is now turning this parable around right on those Pharisees. See, those Pharisees, they are the older brother. They're the ones who think they're making dad happy. But this older son isn't making his dad happy. In fact, he's basically slapping him in the face. Look at the bitterness Again in verse 29. All these years I've been slaving for you. And you never, you never, you never. That's his attitude. He doesn't trust his father. He's just full of criticism. He's full of criticism. And this takes us to what I think is probably the saddest part of the whole story. In verse 28. 
the older brother became angry and refused to go in. See, his father's throwing a party. And both sons are invited, but this son refuses to come in. And remember, Jesus likes to tell stories that come with a twist ending, right? And so now the crowd that's listening, they're looking at the Pharisees, they're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, now I get it. Now I see where this story's going. This is the big twist. The younger son is rebellious. He's the troublemaker, but he's welcomed home. Hallelujah. The older son was obedient, but he's the one that's going to get left out in the cold. That's the big twist. It's a flip. It reverses our expectations. That's what they think is coming. But the fact is this story has two surprise twists. Surprise number one, the younger son is welcomed home. Surprise number two, the older son doesn't get left out in the cold. The father comes out and pleads with him. Pleads with him. Verse 23. He doesn't want either one of his sons to miss out on the party. And that's the third point I want us to see. Not only does God's generous love come looking for us, and not only does God's generous love give us a new identity, but God's generous love invites everyone. Invites everyone. Even that bitter, self-righteous, older son. See, the father doesn't want to let that older son walk away with his hard heart and his pridefulness and his arrogance. He wants to correct his son's perspective. Excuse me. You see, this, this older son is too proud to go into the party. But the father is humble and loving enough to come out of the party to plead with that son. Please, come in. Don't walk away. The older son thinks everybody should just get what they deserve. This younger son deserves the trouble. I deserve the blessings. But Jesus, through this picture of the father, really, the father is saying, I want to give you better than you deserve. I'm generous. I don't want to just give everyone what they deserve. I want to offer you more than you deserve, much more. If you just accept the invitation. And the older son thinks the entire party is a waste. It's ridiculous. Why would you kill the fattened calf? We've been saving that for a special occasion. And you're just going to kill it and serve it for this stupid party. But the father says, no, son, we had to have this party. We had to celebrate. Look at verse 32. This is so powerful. We had to celebrate and be glad. Now, depending on the translation you're reading, some translations say, uh, it was fitting for us to celebrate. But I think that the NIV translates it a little clearer when you look at the word Jesus uses. It's really talking about like, you gotta. We had to party. We had to celebrate. There was no choice. We must celebrate. Joy is not optional, right? The older son just wants a little bit of food. Go off and have some fun with my friends. The father's saying, but I'm offering you joy. Rejoice with me. We have to celebrate. We have to be joyful. And that's where the story ends. Jesus ends right there on a cliffhanger. 
what is the older son going to do? Is the older son going to accept the invitation? Or is he going to walk away? And I see Jesus just looking at the Pharisees as he finishes this story. What are they going to do? As they've heard about the generous love of God, are they going to walk away? Or are they going to accept his invitation? And I want to end in the same place with a few points of how this can apply to us. First, if you're hearing me share this today and you have not experienced the generous love of God the Father, please do not walk away from his invitation. Do not walk away. The world offers never-ending fun, right? Maybe you've seen this hey, the pandemic gave me enough time to finish Netflix, right? Nobody can finish Netflix. They're, they're publishing like more movies every day. But there's just never-ending fun out there. But there's not a lot of joy. If you want joy, go to the joyful one. Go to our generous God. He overflows with joy. And that's what he's inviting you to enter into. God's love is not a force like electricity that you can just plug into, right? It's not like Star Wars where you just channel this power through you. No, to connect with God's love means connecting with God himself. It's in relationship. He is a personal God who extends personal love for you. It's like one-on-one. And... And so how do you get that relationship, right? When the younger son was out on that pig farm, in the mud, starving to death, he didn't just sit there and think happy thoughts about his father, right? That wouldn't have gotten that far. He had to get up, turn around, and start walking the road back home. And what is that road home for you and for me? It's Jesus Jesus is the way. That's what he said. I am the way. The Pharisees criticized him for spending time with sinners. But he came down from heaven. God came down to spend time with sinners. They were criticizing his entire plan. His entire generous, loving plan of salvation. And Jesus died to pay all our debts, to clear our name. You see, Jesus is the one who came looking for us, the generous love of God. And Jesus is the one who gives us a new identity. Jesus was stripped naked on the cross, right? So that you could wear his best robe. That's the trade he's offering. And Jesus is the one who invites everyone. He shows us the generous love of God. Because after he died, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. There is nothing that stands between you and the Father, if you will just follow Jesus. He defeated anything that would have been able to stand between us. And so he is the one we need to follow. Amen. And if you are listening to me, and you are experiencing that generous love of God today. How do we respond? How do you respond to this text? Well, 
one thing is generosity, right? If you've received the generous love of your Father in heaven, be generous to each other. Be generous to other people. And that's where Jesus goes. Of course, we don't have time, but in the very next chapter, that's where Jesus goes next. He talks about nothing you have is really yours. Everything belongs to me, and so whatever you have in your hands, use it to bless other people. Use it to give other people the invitation into the party. The party. So, if you are one who, you know, you're financially doing all right during COVID-19. A lot of us are struggling. A lot of us, though, are blessed, and we've been able to keep working, and we haven't had as much involved that, that has hurt our bank account. If that's you, how can you spend that money in a generous way? There's people in need. There's things we can do. Not just money, but other material things you have. It doesn't have to be money either. How can you be generous the way Jesus was generous, right? He was poor. He lived his whole life homeless and poor. But he was generous with his time. He was generous with his attention. So if you are one who has time, we all have some amount of time. Some of us are busier than others right now. But if you have time to share, be generous. And you might have to get creative, right? If you like having people over for dinner, showing hospitality to people, you may or may not have a, a responsible way to do that during COVID-19 with all of the recommendations and all the things that are out there. But pray, ask God for creative ways to use your gifts, even in the middle of a pandemic. Get creative. And maybe there's so many examples, right? Maybe you've got a son or daughter living at home who's testing your patience, right? How can generous love from your father overflow to your child? Maybe you've got a neighbor who is more at risk and needs help running errands or doing things that you can easily do to help. How do you bless them with your time? Maybe you're the one who's at risk, and it's been challenging. Maybe you're jealous of other people in your life who seem to be thriving in the middle of this pandemic. It doesn't seem to be hurting them and holding them back from their life the way it's holding you back. How can you be generous? You've got to not be bitter, but learn how to show generous love, even to the people who seem like they've got it all together. They may not. They may not have it all together. And then finally, be generous to God, right? God is the one who came looking for us, gives us a new identity as his son or daughter, welcoming us home, inviting each one of us. And he loves when we spend our time with him. Spend our attention. Turn your eyes on Jesus. He loves to spend time with us. So no matter how, how busy you feel, you know, maybe you're like me, I've wrestled with this, right? You're filling all your free time lately with fun. There's so much fun just to keep yourself busy, just to take your mind off of something. Relax for a second. But don't fill your time so much with fun you miss out on joy. Give time, give attention to your Heavenly Father. And no matter how you're feeling, stressed, upset, afraid, angry, no matter how you're feeling, 
go to our Father. He is generous. You are his. He values you. And he loves you. So go to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray again. Our dear Father in heaven, thank you for your generous love that is one million times more amazing than I could possibly try to get across with human words. Lord, you know what each one of us needs right now. You're generous. Give us good gifts. Give good gifts to your children right now. The strength we need, the peace we need, the direction we need. I need creative ideas. How can I bless other people in my life and still keep my family safe in whatever way you would have me? Just lead me, lead us to be a church that shows your generous love as we receive it from you. In Jesus' name, amen.